crush your menopause sugar cravings in time for warm weather fun with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. Delicious, keto, and intermittent fasting-friendly. These bars help women manage weight and energy during all stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Every time I sit down to record a show, I get excited. And every time we start to approach the 30-minute mark that signals the end of the show is coming, I think I could talk to this person all day long. I am already thinking I need more than 30 minutes for today's guest. An author, TED speaker, activist, and educator, Julie Lifcott-Hames is a former Stanford Dean of Freshmen, author of the perennial bestseller, How to Raise an Adult, and the lauded memoir, Real American, which illustrates her experience as a black and biracial person in white spaces. Her latest book is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Julie's work explores adulting, parenting, and race, and examines practical strategies for living a more authentic adulthood and creating inclusive, just communities. I am thrilled she is here to offer a glimpse of her work and ideas for growing and becoming more resilient as a parent, person, a neighbor, a friend, a partner, a human. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. I am of a certain age, so I feel right at home here. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm so delighted. Uh, as I said, you wear a number of hats. You've written some uh, wonderful, uh, practical, you know, thought-provoking uh, books. You've had a multi-hyphenate career. I didn't even get to it all in the intro. I know that you went to Harvard Law and that you practice corporate law. I know that you worked as an educator. Now you're an author, a speaker. You create online courses, you know. But how do you introduce yourself and, and, and your work? Given your multiplicity of, of, of options, how would you introduce yourself to my, my audience? I'd say, hey, audience, thanks so much for joining me and Katie today. Uh, <laughs> notice what comes up for you as we talk, because that's a little clue from you to you that something we've said or explored matters. And that is really important for you to take forward. I believe in humans is what I would say, Katie. I believe in humans. I'm rooting for all of us to make it. I'm trying to do my small part to help humans remove obstacles from their path, whether the obstacle is in front of them or within them. I'm really interested in all of us making it, all of us thriving, all of us uh, making the most of this life unfettered by other people's opinions or the obstacles that are in our way. I'm so excited to explore this. So, I, you know, let's just start chronologically, though, because we're going to we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about your turn and and, um, you know, how we maybe in midlife can um, you know sort of look at the obstacles that we feel are maybe preventing us from from, you know, thriving in this next act. But I do want to talk about your books in chronological order. So you hit the New York Times bestseller with your book, How to Raise an Adult. And I can see why, you know, because um, you're like, I would love to buy a book that delivers on that promise. Because as a parent, that's that's your your primary goal is to raise, you know, functioning, happy, healthy children into adulthood so they can thrive. Why did you see a need for that book? I was a college dean observing the rise of helicopter parenting at the level of the college campus. And so this would have been in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, we were seeing on our campus at Stanford what people were seeing around the nation, which was 
parents who were so accustomed to micromanaging their kids every moment in childhood, still feeling the inclination to do that at the college level. And in the early years, the transition years, I'll call it, when parents went from not doing that to starting to do that, it just seemed absurd. You know, this kid could be in the military, but here you are like holding their hand through college. Parent, what are you so afraid of? Like, Why do you act like your kid is so incapable? And what I think we've come to appreciate is that, well, when a kid has been so micromanaged and handheld through childhood, they may have gotten the grades, but they may not have been able to do much by themselves. And they're going to need to be able to really fend for themselves, meaning try, figure it out, problem solve, get back up again. All of those kind of how humans get through a life skills may have been underdeveloped if their childhood was overly handheld. So uh, I was deeply concerned about young adults uh, not thriving and trace that concern back to a method of parenting that was relatively new at the time that is, of course, prolific now. And, you know, rooting for young adults to make it. I was like, wait a minute, we got we parents because I'm one of them. I have a 23 year old and a 21 year old. And, you know, I came to realize, hey, I'm, I'm over parenting my kids, too. And um, so I was deeply invested in understanding why we do it, but more importantly, how we can change it and get back to letting our kids learn the various things life will teach them if only we stay in our lane. Uh, so that's why I wrote that first book. You know, and, and you offer so many wonderful tactical tips uh, in the book. I would encourage anyone who has kids that are in high school or perhaps, you know, starting to embark on college to, to pick this up. And, and you know, um, there's a buffet of, of options and choices that you could do to, to you know, help get your kids uh, kind of to right the ship and get them ready so they can thrive on their own. But I wanted to explore something that you just talked about when you said parents are afraid sometimes that their kids aren't going to be doing that. And you know, you share that that is sort of the fear is the hardest uh, for parents. And that's at the root sometimes of this helicopter parenting, or even what we now, you know, hear is snowplow parenting, where you just kind of, you know, bulldoze over all obstacles and, and, and clear the path for, for kids. What are the fears that make it hard for parents to stand back uh, and let their kids uh, develop on their own, make mistakes, learn resiliency? And how can we as parent, parents mitigate those fears? We're afraid our kids are going to fail or fuck up or embarrass us as a family if we don't make sure they are perfect today. So we've forgotten that our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job, meaning we teach and teach and teach and they grow and grow and grow. And then we can have this satisfied relief that, OK, my offspring is going to are going to be okay when I'm gone. That's our biological imperative, not do everything for them, but today, but ensure that they know how to do for themselves tomorrow. So we've forgotten that we're afraid that they'll fail today. And so we've decided, okay, I need to handle it because I know I can do it. And my retort to that is, of course you can do it. <laughs> You're the grown up. You've had all these years to figure it out and you're better at them at keeping track of belongings and tracking deadlines and stacking dishwashers and talking to store clerks and figuring out bureaucracy. Of course you can, because you learned. Our job is to teach our kids every step of the way, all the things they're going to need to know. So I think it is really about don't parent for today, parent for tomorrow. Tomorrow being that vast set of years and moments when our kid needs to move through the world with that intrinsic confidence that, hey, I know what I'm doing. I've I've met this kind of challenge before. I you know, maybe it's going to be a little bit more challenging than last time, but what I learned last time will make me better prepared to handle it this time. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny that you, you, you some of the examples you were using. I had a wonderful guest on a few episodes ago, the writer Annabel Monahan, who came on to talk about her her new book, Nora Goes Off Script, and she wrote a series of essays on life in her small town, and one of them is hilarious. It's about learning that her son's friend doesn't know what a stamp is. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, like literally, she was like, what do you mean you don't know what a stamp is? It goes on the envelope. And this kid who was like in high school didn't know how to apply a stamp to an envelope. And it's a funny story, but it's a little, you know, it illustrates what you're saying, that if, if, we're, if we're stamping everything, then, you know, how are kids going to, how are kids going to learn this? How has technology, you know, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, technology is a little bit of a wrinkle there. So first of all, let's say, let's not make fun of the kid who doesn't know how to lick an envelope or shut an envelope or use a stamp or address an envelope because we've never taught them and that's on us. But also technology has changed everything. So they send plenty of things by text, by email, through their social media. They're good at communicating. They just don't know the old fashioned systems. And um, just like we need their help in figuring out how to get to Netflix and Hulu if the, <laughs> if the TV isn't on the right. Julie, you input. know me. You, you must oh know. Oh, my God. Right. We need their help because technology has outpaced our ability. But yes. they also need our help in understanding the older systems that are still in play. Like maybe they're going to need to know how to write checks and um, and how to put stamps on envelopes. So the teaching, the teaching, the whole point of parenting is teaching and teaching isn't do it for them. (laughs) Teaching is show them how to do it, be near them as they try. So they don't set their hair on fire when they're making a grilled cheese sandwich on the stove for the first time, (laughs) but then have confidence that after they've learned that out stoves are hot, you know, they're not, they don't need to learn that lesson twice. Um, You know, they've learned it. And then you can sit in the dining room and your kid can make you the sandwich. You know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be patiently, lovingly scanning the environment for what do they need to learn and how can I teach it to them instead of, oh, I'll handle everything and they can just sit in the corner and look adorable. Right. Julie, that's such great. That's a very specific example that with a grilled cheese. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what happened in your, your kitchen at one point, but um, I I love that. Of course we have to, we have to uh, teach them the things that they need to you know, be functioning adults. And that, that can be hard sometimes because I, I think that, you know, my experience as what it, what it is to be a functioning adult sometimes feels like a continuous learning um, curve for myself. So it's like yeah. you kind of and I remember uh, a story. We were sitting around the kitchen table with my mother-in-law and she was looking at her five kids uh, who are now fully, you know, full fledged adults. And they were razzing her about these childhood stories and, you know, things that she did wrong or maybe mistakes that were made and giving her a hard time. And she just kind of laughed and threw up her hands and said, well, I was learning, too. And sometimes when you're kids, you don't recognize that. You don't recognize that your parents are, are, are learning to parent, are learning to become adults. And um, this is going to be a great segue into your latest book, which is out. We're going to talk about your turn, how to be an adult, in just a minute when we get back from our break. At a certain age, we love dry humor, but dry skin, no. Dry skin is one of the most common complaints of women as we age. Why? because our skin naturally starts to produce less oil and our estrogen levels drop, and less estrogen equals drier skin. At Cary Grand Skincare, they believe that we don't need more products as we age, we need better ones, with natural oil-based ingredients, focusing on health and hydration, not youth and perfection. 
Cary Grant is dedicated to giving our skin the nourishment it needs. With a simple three-step ritual, you'll see the difference a few essential products can do. At Cary Grant, they use only the best organic, naturally derived, and non-GMO ingredients. This woman-run company is also sustainably conscious and hand pours all their products in Seattle. Exclusively for a certain age listeners, you can use code KD20 at checkout to receive 20% off plus free shipping. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to Cary Grand today. That's K-A-R-I-G-R-A-N. Your thirsty skin will thank you. We're back. We were talking about how becoming an adult is a continuous learning curve. We are continuously growing and evolving. When did you decide that your own writing needed to evolve and you wanted to tackle your turn, how to be an adult? My publisher decided that for me, Katie. Oh, I love uh, it. Had, well, <laughs> yes, yes. A double-edged sword. Uh, be careful what you wish for. Um, in other words, How to Raise an Adult had done really well, as you noted at the, sure. the front end of the show. And and when that happens, publishers want more and authors are excited, of course. And I got a deal to write my memoir on race, Real American, on being Black and biracial in white spaces. It was a two-book deal. The second book was this sequel to How to Raise an Adult. And that's what we called it, uh, envisioning a book for uh, for the young adults. And so my publisher asked me to write it. And uh, and what I find interesting is that I, I signed a contract and then failed to write it for about three years. I could not figure out a way into the subject of living your best adult life. It felt immense. It felt daunting. And I thought, who the fuck am I to write a book telling other people how to live their best lives? And, you know, your publisher's always there like, you're precisely the person. We know you can do this. And I'm like, but really? So I had to find the narrative. I had to figure out the content. Like, what What can you, po- you know, like, how big a book is this? Sure. Right? It's like, it's life. It's enormous. It's infinite. How do I break that down into chunks that make sense? But also, what's the voice of this book that carries the right degree of motivation and compassion that offers suggestions without being prescriptive, that is massively inclusive of all walks of life. Everybody's got a different way to approach this. And yet there are a lot of things that are inherent in everyone's journey or that you have to think about. So I really struggled. I tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And then finally found my way in with a sample chapter that evoked my voice as a university dean, sitting compassionately with a young adult who was trying to figure their shit out, I I tried to tap that voice, which is hard. You go from having conversations with humans live and in person to being just a person on a page trying to communicate with that reader whose face you'll never see. But I strove for that kind of voice where the reader's going to feel like, my God, she cares about me. My goodness, how did she know I was going through this? You know, like, wow, you know, I really took something from this story of this person who's not like me at all. And this person over here who's not like me. I've got voices of other people in these pages because Lord knows the advice that comes from my own life is not sufficient. So um, it's it was quite a journey for me. And to what you said, you're you're learning and growing as you age. I am too. And Katie, I'll go so far as to say, I want to learn and grow until I draw my last breath because that's what it means to live. And with that in place, then it's like every time I screw up, every time I have a challenge, I'm like, okay, well, I'm still learning. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. Absolutely. Of course. That's that's such a beautiful way of saying it. 
Um, I think you succeeded with this book. It's I I am surprised. You know, I guess I'm surprised and not surprised to hear that it that it was a challenge because I think the idea. I mean, I even struggle that with the show sometimes. It's like I feel like I'm surfacing the voices of other people and. You know, I've been encouraged to be more prescriptive. Uh, pres- you know, you said it so beautifully. <laughs> prescriptive. Right. Thank you. It's prescriptive. Right. I, I landed right. it. I landed the airplane. But, you know, we don't want to be prescriptive. We're talking to humans. We want to encourage them with um, information and tools and resources. But we want to recognize that, that they sometimes people know what's best for them, but we don't want to tell them what to do. But you really succeeded with this book. You outline all of these different chapters that really – give offerings across sort of a wide range of the adult experiences, but you also really service a lot of different voices. And before we get into some of the content, I would love for you to share with our audience about your uh, commitment to inclusion that you bring to both this book and your work in general. Yeah. So I write nonfiction. I think that's that's probably clear to your audiences, your, your listeners and audience. I I'm trying to write about the human experience. I'm trying to write memoir about my own experience uh, as much as I can bear to stare at it and share it. Um, and I'm super clear that generally speaking, whether in nonfiction or fiction, authors tend to be writing for and about a narrow slice of humans, typically straight, white, middle-class, educated humans. And, um, you know, as a woman of color, um, it just always alienates me to read a book that purports to be for all, but every example is drawn from a narrow slice of life. So I try not to do that in my book. I try, uh, I aim for, particularly in a book like Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, which is on a phase of life we all go through if we survive childhood. I wanted every reader to have cause to say she had me in mind when she wrote this. And so I had to go find examples and storytellers um, from communities that I don't belong to. Um, So I activated my network and asked my network to activate their network. I put a survey out into the world to strangers saying, are you an adult? How do you know? You know, was, was there an event? Was there a moment? If you aren't an adult, you don't feel like an adult. What are you waiting for to happen? You know, I just put curiosity out there, kind of cast a net widely to see who I could find. And I'm delighted to say that this book is filled with close to three dozen stories of people uh, across the spectrum, racially, across the gender spectrum, um, uh, people f- who are straight and people who are queer, um, people who are poor and people who are working class and middle class and upper middle class and wealthy and people who are immigrants and people who have been in this country a long time and people who are estranged from their parents and people who are very close to their parents, people doing all kinds of work, people who, who are religious and, and represent the world's major religions and people who aren't at all people who have pets, people who have kids, like there's just, you know, people who have mental health situations. This book does not asterisk depression or anxiety. This book centers the fact that most of us have something, whether it's a mental health issue or a learning difference or a bodily challenge or something that makes life harder for us. Um, I, I center that I say throughout, like you may struggle with social anxiety, in which case when I'm telling you the value of eye contact and a smile, you might be like, yeah, I can't do that. I get that. Right. I'm trying to be as inclusive as I'm giving advice. I'm carving out things and saying, yep. And for you, this might be especially hard or for you, this might be especially emotional, right? If your parents didn't treat you right growing up, you may be really well-skilled because you had to fend for yourself sooner than anyone would have said is fair, so I'm, I, you know, I'm just constantly, it's like I'm scanning the room and like trying to make sure that every human that I can imagine 
is rep and is represented in these pages. And I'm sure I left some folks out. I mean, obviously I couldn't possibly take every single um, unique individual into account, but boy, did I try for a much more inclusive narrative than one typically sees. Yeah. And I, I think that you, you absolutely struck that chord and you also, you know, it's, it's amazing. How many pages are in this book? I'd have to go back. 459. Yeah. It's not four, short. 459. Can't DL, TLDR adulting. It's right. a long stretch of decades, we hope. But it's also broken down into sort of discrete chunks, too, because you talk about, you know, um, their prompts and strategies for healthy relationship to money or to finding purpose. You know, how do there's a section on how to stop being a people pleaser, the power of finding connections with strangers. I mean, you do really uh, you, you not only surface um, stories from across a wide range of perspectives, you, you cover a lot of different areas, which I thought was fantastic. I would love to explore each of them. We're going to have to kind of hone in on, on a few during this during this podcast. And I wanted to ask you about chapter two, which you call Tag Your It's or the terror and joy of fending for yourself, because I feel like that is really um, kind of a jumping off point for the rest of it, you know, like recognizing that you're in charge of, 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 of your life and your decisions and what comes next. And uh, I know you said this book is really for all ages, but the listeners of this show are in middle age. And middle age is a time, I think, of extreme liberation. You know, we're confident, yeah. we're like liberated from caring what people think about us. We're liberated from you know, maybe some some times on our uh, you know demands on our time. We are confident in our careers. We're confident in our friendships and our connections. But it's also a time of loss. You know, there's changes to our bodies. You know, maybe there are changes to our relationships. Sometimes careers shift and morph as we get older. Uh, how do we tackle fear in midlife as we look at our next chapter? That's a biggie. <laughs> one, yeah, one of the most rewarding uh, facets of having written this book is that I hear from older readers. Again, it was pitched at 18 to 34. So I'm hearing when I say older, I mean, late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, folks have written me saying, I know you didn't write this for me, but I read it anyway. And I saw myself in these pages. And it makes me smile because I think, yeah, the book is simply a mirror you look into it and you will see yourself where you need to. So I think the fending chapter, frankly, tag your it. I call it the fending chapter, the tear and joy fending for yourself. I think for many of us who are um, of a certain age, we're going to read that chapter and be like, oh, wow, I do know a lot. I have learned a lot. I'm reminded of myself at 18, 25 when I didn't know anything. And I was like screwing up constantly and trying to act like I had my shit together. I think that's going to be a reassuring chapter, but also maybe an opportunity to retool if you're like, oh, that's that's why I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I've forgot, you know, I've, I've really, I've got to brush up on, you know, my my RSVPing skills. Like I'm terrible. I'm always ghosting people. Like reply and show up is one of the pieces of advice I have in that chapter. And I'm, you know, I'm telling it to young people who are notorious for like not responding to that. Can you come to dinner this weekend? Can you come to my event? Right that those manners issues of reply, even if the answer is no, like reply. And if the answer is yes, show up. So maybe you'll see something where you want to retool, but I think it's going to be a reassuring chapter. And I think the fear, fear is natural. Fear is normal. Fear means you're alive. A lot of fear, you know, anxiety about everything. That's something you want to go get therapy for. You want to get treatment for. You don't want to be living in constant fear, but a little bit of fear, I think is like humility. It's like, okay, this might not go great. I'm a little afraid of that. You know, I'm a little afraid of what they might think. That's okay. Like we don't, we don't, we don't become invincible. I think we become very tolerant of our imperfections. 
and Absolute. we're okay with them. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, it's interesting that, that we're talking about fear because this came up on an earlier show that I recorded with Monica Corcoran Harrell, and we talked about fear. And um, we both agreed that getting to midlife doesn't make you less fearful. I mean, there are things that I'm scared of doing and that I'm, you know, scared of trying new things. But I have gotten much better about walking side by side with my fear. It used to stop me and derail me from trying things. You know, the fear of failure, the fear like, what if it doesn't work out? Like, what might happen? And now I'm, I'm still afraid, but I'm doing it anyhow. So, and I think that that for me is like, honestly, that's the realization that makes me feel the most grown up. You know, if I could master my retirement planning, that would also make me feel grown up. But like, I don't want to do that because I hate money. So I need to go spend some time with your healthy relationship with money portion of the book. (laughs) But I think for me, walking like side by side with my fear and doing it anyway, makes me feel like a grown up. What makes you feel? What makes you feel like an adult, Julie? You know, so... I have a mindfulness practice that I d- began developing with the help of my coach, Mary Ellen Myers, who makes a number of appearances in this book. Cause she's really one of those five people I'm going to picture when I die. She's been that transformative in my life by teaching me mindfulness when I was 39 and now I'm 54 and mindfulness allows me to basically uh, have an operating system that's constantly open. So when I'm having a conversation and I'm getting like that weird feeling of fear or insecurity or anger or whatever, I can like type into my operating system, honey, what's going on for you? And it'll give me the answer. Oh, you're feeling judged or you're, it's reminding you of this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I get my own answers because I've got this mindfulness practice. So then I can regulate, take a deep breath, even while I'm just in conversation with the person where all of this is happening, self-soothe, regulate, like, okay, it's okay. And, and that has made me feel like an adult because I'm in charge of my actions and reactions more than ever. Whereas when I was young, I was terribly uh, reactive, impulsive, just just couldn't harness the emotion that was really animating me. I mean, emotion is great. I just want to be in charge of it. I want to know when to bring the big emotion. I want to know when to bring the anger. I want to know when to bring the silence. I want to know when to bring that carefully constructed thought rather than just spewing my ideas constantly. So mindfulness has been my has been alongside me in my adulthood as the most reassuring, compassionate companion. I love that. Oh my gosh, you're you're inspiring me to give it a try. Uh, I, I I I tried a meditation practice at one point and abandoned it, but. Um, what you just shared really is making me rethink it. I also love that you listed the the, the qualities that it's helped you kind of uh, mitigate against, you know, sort of impulsiveness or fear, uh, uh, you know, just sort of that emotional responses. Because I, I feel like midlife for me, I mean, the frequent listeners to the show will know that I my first episode was on toxic rage. You know, I was like my menopausal hot flashes. I didn't have a hot flashes, but I had these like volcanic mood swings. And I, I feel like... Um, you know, it's interesting. Do you feel like mindfulness would help with that? Or is that, you know, I'm asking you to sort of (laughs) speculate here. But I I think that, you know, sort of tackling some of these emotional um, disturbances that occur in midlife is something that for me is an ongoing work. Yeah, um, I've definitely, I think I'm in menopause. You know how it's like, you don't know for a full year. Um, But I'm pretty sure the pandemic and maybe, yeah. Anyway, so um, I, so I am able to sort of observe that I, I have had those emotional mood swings, whether in my fifties and forties or in my twenties and teens. Um, and the mindfulness practice, and let me clarify, I don't meditate. There's mindfulness meditation, which is really this process of getting quiet. 
uh, and that's amazing. I don't do that. I have a mindfulness practice running where I can scan my thoughts in real time as I'm very much interacting with situations, people, uh, you know, in interpersonal conversations, meetings out in the supermarket, wherever it's an, it's a sort of ability to tap into my own, um, emotions in real time, uh, as I'm alive and awake and out in the world, not meditating in my quiet space. Um, and it's definitely allowed me to feel just less, um, at the mercy of my emotions and more respectful of the depth of my emotions. Like, wow. Yeah. You're really mad right now. Uh-huh. That's valid, Julie. That's valid. What do you want to do about it in this moment? Is now the time to say something or be quiet? If you're going to say something, what do you want to say so that you really feel you're representing your own person effectively? Um, and, you know, as opposed to just constantly popping off, um, nothing wrong with tool. popping. No, it's such a fantastic yeah, yeah. tool. You just want to be, it's an intention. It's allowed me to be intentional and deliberate Whereas in the past, I might have been more impulsive and then having to apologize for my overreaction. What a fantastic tool. Is it, Where in the book would uh, listeners look for that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've toward the end, uh, chapter 12, unleash your superpowers, mindfulness, kindness, and gratitude. I think kindness and gratitude, we all think we know what those are. Great. I'm going to give you, you know, some some incentive to go and really get your kindness and gratitude on. But mindfulness is something that's a little bit more complicated. So I open the chapter with that one, really teaching people what I've learned about mindfulness, which is not to say I'm the guru of mindfulness, but hopefully there's something in my practice that makes folks feel like, hey, here's an open door. I can walk through it, maybe learn a little bit more. Okay, fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, advice. Chapter 12, listeners need to go find that. Uh, before we uh, near the end, I do want to explore a little bit about cha chapter six, which you call "Get Out of Neutral: The Tragedy of Unused, uh, you know, po portions of your life." Potions, potions, potions. Oh, potions. Okay, I'm, I'm, yes. I got it written down wrong, but you know, I, I, I feel that people in midlife um, sometimes are looking at feeling, you know, there, there are sections of their life that were underdeveloped you know, that they are maybe stuck. I, I hear this from, from women and listeners on the show will, yeah. will sometimes, you know, DM me or share that they feel stuck in their lives. I know this book isn't, this chapter is not specifically about midlife women, but yeah. if, if you were to offer some ideas or some learnings from, you know, your interviews around this notion of getting unstuck and using yeah. it to catapult you into a new sort of direction for midlife, what would you offer? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is the book, the book's chapters pair with each other. So uh, the chapter on perfectionism, chapter three, you're not, you're not perfect. You're here to learn and grow. Then pairs with chapter four, be good, uh, which is the power of developing your good character. So that's sort of how to set down perfectionism and develop the one thing you really do want to be good at, which is your character. But then get out of neutral six, the tragedy of unused potions pairs with five and seven uh, five is stop pleasing others. They have no idea who you are. And seven is start talking to strangers because humans are key to your survival. So five, six, and seven are like the hinge. They're the middle part of the book where getting out of neutral is the is really what we're trying to activate. If you're feeling stuck in your adulthood, whether you're 50 or 30 or 20 or 70, chapter six is trying to identify what's keeping you stuck. What's the inertia about What's the stuckness about? Why is there a lack of momentum? What's holding you back? And um, the stories in there, so every chapter ends with somebody's, with a set of stories. And there are, I think, four at the end of this chapter. Um, one is a woman named Stefania, 
um, who was stuck in a bad marriage where, you know, she's an entrepreneur and she works and she has kids and her husband, basically she fell in love with him at 20 and he never grew up and he just loved to like be a free spirit and not have responsibilities. And she's like, that was great when we were going to raves, but now that we have kids and bills, that's not going to work. And so you see her finally gather the momentum to say, I got to leave this marriage after trying and trying, got to leave this marriage behind. So Stefania's story is beautiful and I think infinitely relatable. Um, but then you also have Michael who was like hustling. He was like at a tier two, quote unquote, tier two college, according to some and couldn't get the job he wanted. And he's working a bar where a mixer for the tier one kids were meeting with the investment bank. And, and he was like, you know, maybe I'm not invited into this mixer, but I can serve a set of drinks that they love. And they're going to tip me afterwards. And I'm going to hand them my resume instead of taking that tip. And that's how he hustled his way to a better work situation. He's now like a senior vice president in tech and doing amazingly well, but he was once that kid who had to hustle to be seen for what he was capable of when the labels that were attached to him were making people really not see him. And then we have Jim, who's, you know, this, this child of Korean immigrants. And I say that intentionally because that's a narrative in here about parents who have a certain set of expectations about what you'll be and become based on, you know, who they are and what they sacrificed to get you to this country, to an education. And they wanted him to go to dental school. And he's at Harvard dental school with his hand in a patient's mouth when he's like, I don't like this. How the <laughs> hell am I going to have a career doing this? He was literally stuck with his hand in somebody's mouth and he pivoted. He left dental school. He went and found himself and ultimately fashioned a career that he loves. But boy, did he have to have some thoughtful conversations with his mom who really had sacrificed everything. So these are some of the examples. And then there's Ben, who's who's stuck in a home as a 32 year old with a bank account and a condo he owns, but his parents won't let him move out because mom and dad have these sort of ways of thinking about money and they're infantilizing him. And he's, you know, it's a terrible situation, but you see him developing his agency as he talks to us between interviews one and two, he lost a hundred pounds. I didn't know that weight was a concern for him. I'm not trying to be fat shaming of anybody. Ben himself was like, I was, you know, many hundreds of pounds overweight and just having the conversation with us about his choices and what he wanted out of his life catalyzed his ability to say, you know what? I may be stuck in this house with my very controlling parents, but I can be in charge of what I eat and how I move my body. And so there's all kinds of reasons why we're in neutral, but I think you'll find in these stories inspiration to do the really tough and brave things. Absolutely. And sometimes it's just, you know, it takes being inspired by somebody like, like you, like you shared, or, um, you know, I, I've heard from listeners on the show that listen to a certain age and they'll DM me and say, I'm starting a business with my sister because I've been hearing about all these other women on the show who are in their fifties, who are starting new things. And it just reminds you what's possible. And, and this book is, is chock full of stories like that. Um, I do want to ask you what you're doing now in just a minute, because I know you're up to something exciting I want to share with the listeners, but I do, well, I would love for you to give an overview. You know, you shared that these um, chapters are paired together. What are yeah. we getting at the, in the end chapters? Yeah. Um, that everyone's so, going to have to go read by themselves since we're running out right. of time. <laughs> so after start talking to strangers, why, why human relationships are everything, we then get to money, which you know, it's a very practical chapter, but then we go into take good care. Chapter nine, take good care of yourself, know your situation, the learning difference, the challenge, the disease, the diagnosis, the pain for which there is no diagnosis, all of the mental health issues, all of that is chapter nine, take good care of yourself. And then um, how to cope when the shit hits the fan is chapter 10. And that's like 
death, addiction, incarceration, disease, cancer, like, you know, a it's pan- like that's a pandemic, a, a global pandemic. Yeah. And I say, like, I wrote this in a pandemic and I'm struggling and I didn't even think I could get through this chapter sometimes in writing this for you. I was struggling. So I'm really trying to mirror that. So those are nine and 10. And then we get to the super to make things better. That's how to, like, go make a difference in the world. Uh, and then finally, the superpowers. And then the last little chapter is above all else, keep going a story about a young couple that found themselves pregnant unexpectedly, but they decided to lean into that and craft a life. And boy, there's nothing that grows you up faster than having a baby when you weren't necessarily expecting that. And again, not making any sort of prescriptive, you should have a baby, you should not have it's not about that. It's like, look at this challenge, look at this curveball life through their way. Listen to what their agency sounds like as they decided to tackle this situation head on and look what they're learning. um, These 20 somethings from this lovely three-year-old they now have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I I love that you, you illustrate all of these different things with stories that really bring it to life. And I love that you end with go make a difference in the world, because this is a wonderful segue into what it is that you're up to, which I would love for you to share with our listeners. It's exciting. Thank you for that invitation. Of course. Right. You've you've heard at the top the various careers I've had, and I seem to have enjoyed some modicum of success. I'm super privileged. I'm aware of that. I'm upper middle class. A lot has gone right. And yet, like many of you, I've been really lost in the pandemic. I've been fearful. I've been lonely. I've maybe a little depressed. Um, I've also been really numbed by what's been happening in our country, um, the, 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 the way in which the Supreme Court is going and the Senate. Just I'm a liberal Democrat, and that may not be your jam, but for me and others like me, these have been terrifying times, and I've wanted to leave America. I've thought about taking up my privilege and leaving, and I've come to realize, no, Julie, those of us who have the privilege to even contemplate, like, can I get a passport elsewhere? Precisely because of that privilege, we must not leave. We must stay and fight for this country to get back on track. And so I've decided um, to uh, plow my energy and my capacity to learn and to grow and help into running for city council here in my city of Palo Alto, the heart of Silicon Valley. There's a lot right about this place, but there's a lot we get wrong. Like we don't have enough housing. We certainly don't have enough affordable housing. We're in danger of creating a servant class of people who teach our kids and and uh, work in various jobs to make this city magnificent, but who have to live an hour and a half to two hours away because it's under it's not affordable. So affordable housing, youth mental health, climate action, urgent climate action, and creating a, a culture of everyone belonging here, regardless of what we look like. Those are my campaign platform pillars. And uh, uh, I'm running and I'm, I'm going to be on the ballot in November, which is nuts, but amazing. And it's allowing me to just turn my fear and worry and malaise into something I can catalyze. I'm feeling alive again, just in putting this campaign together and talking to people about what matters to them. You know, I feel, I feel a sense of purpose, regardless of whether I win or lose. And I hope I win. I'm learning and growing. And I've already told you that that's what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. I hope you win too. I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice and the joy. <laughs> and uh, I am a you know, a lifelong uh, progressive Democrat myself. So you would have my vote if I could give it to you in Palo Alto because I live I on Long it. Island. Um, oh. But I love what you what you just outlined that you stand for. And yeah. um, and it's, it's so important. I feel... Um, you know, we everyone who's listening to this knows our, our politics seem to be breaking down and becoming more and more dysfunctional. 
And it's so joyful to hear that people who, you know, want to throw their hat in the ring, who aren't so, yeah. you know, disgusted and turned off that are willing to put the work in. So thank you for running. It's just a, it's a great <laughs> reminder that when, you know, when we see something we want to see change, we have to go out and do it. So I, I wish you you all the, the best with your campaign. Uh, I have so loved connecting with you. I am inspired by the work that you do, the books that you write, and um, I'm so delighted that you accepted your publisher's, in- publisher's <laughs> invitation to write book number two. That's a, that's a fun, fun invite to get. Um, we're going to do a quick speed round, and then we're going to end. And I, but, but when we end, I want you to share with our listeners how they can find you, your work, and your island courses. But let's do our speed round. So this is a one- or two-word answer to end on a high-energy note. Writing, yes, writing books is? Terrifying. <laughs> I love honest answers. Okay, writing real American was? Cathartic. A skill or attribute that I acquired in midlife that eluded my younger self? Mindfulness. An underrated parenting technique? Walk away. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. I'm, gonna, I, I'm taking that on in the future. I know it. Uh, if you practice one thing from reading How to Raise an Adult, I hope it is this. Um, oh, man. How to Raise an Adult. Practice one thing. Um, teach your kid how to do things. First, you do it for them. Then you do it with them. Then you watch them do it. Step four, they can do it independent of you. A f- perfect four-part practice. Okay. Right. If you practice one thing from reading your turn, I hope it is this. Oh, um, human relationships are everything. You've got to get better at interacting with people, whether they're strangers or store clerks that you know and see all the time or your friends, your partner, your most intimates, your extended family. We have to get better at leveling up with humans. I so agree. And I, I'm taking on smile at a, at a stranger and, and, and adding that yeah. uh, that is sort of as a daily practice, because I do feel that we feel very disconnected yep. from people in our lives. And we can I feel it in my own life. Sometimes I read the news and hear things and I start to think of, of people in my own country as being other from me you know, are angry with them. And that's never going to solve anything. So thank you for reminding us that we that we all need to. Um, you know, work on being, being human. Yeah. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel. Happy. Nice. That is, that is a beautiful note to end on. Julie, this has been a complete treat and an absolute pleasure. Before we say goodbye, I want you to share with our listeners how they can find you, your books, and learn about your upcoming online courses. I know that you've got one coming up with Ted. Uh, Tell us about that and where our listeners can find it. Thanks so much. Yeah, Ted and I partnered to create a course based on the content of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, the the book we've been discussing. Um, You can find that at courses.ted.com. My course is one of six. Uh, You'll see there a little trailer for it. It's called how to become your best adult self. It's 49 bucks for a four week long asynchronous online course. And you just join the next cohort or whenever you're able to join. I uh, hope you'll check that out. My main work is available through my website, julielifcotthames.com. I blog weekly at a place called Julie's Pod, which is where you'll hear my frank observations about my life and the world around me. Uh, it's a free blog, Julie's Pod. Just Google that and it'll come up and subscribe. It's free. Um, And I'm Jay Lithcott Hames everywhere on social. 
And if you're interested, if you live in Palo Alto or near Palo Alto, check out uh, julieforpaloalto.com. That's my campaign website. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks, Katie. Take care. So shout out to my cousins, Megan and Shane. You're in Palo Alto. Tell your friends. If you're listening from Palo Alto, please put Julie on their radar. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. We have a fun fall ahead with a fabulous lineup of guests. I'll be talking with career experts and women charting new career acts over on LinkedIn. So if career development or reinvention is on your list, be sure to follow the podcast over on LinkedIn at A Certain Age Podcast. And we have several author book looks set for September and October over on Instagram. Follow the show on IG Live at A Certain Age Pod to learn more. Or you can simply keep up with the show and all our events by signing up for our newsletter, Age Boldly. Sign up on the pod website, acertainagepod.com. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.